So I, I open it up and it's Justin Bieber meeting Justin Timberlake. And I gotta be very clear. The reason I'm bringing all of this up, like, like, look at me. I'm a regular bull. What I'm trying to say is it's possible. Like, like the reason I even do all of the bonus footage stuff, I've seen this stuff, like, just because of a couple right moves, just because of a couple key connections, yeah. I've seen stuff change overnight for people. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah. Like, I saw a 13-year-old, like, singing songs in a rat-infested basement. I saw a song recorded in a, a, a um... Uh, a closet where we had Scooby-Doo blankets, like uh, like dampening the sound. And then I saw that song become so big that we were in Cologne, Germany, and people that didn't even know the language were saying slang that we wrote in that song back. He ran that song back three times in Cologne, Germany. And I, I've seen that happen. So like, it's the power of ideas. Hey guys, it's Jeremy, and I'm back with an episode of Backstage Career, the podcast where I interview the people who are working behind the scenes with the biggest entrepreneurs and creators out there. I haven't uploaded for the last couple of weeks because I've been traveling, but I am back with an amazing episode with my good friend Tom Boyd. Tom and I connected a couple months back over social media. I reached out to him because I loved his account on Instagram. It's at bonus footage, and he basically shares little nuggets of wisdom and inspiration for people that are just getting into the content creation game. He talks about how to get over your fears as a creator of being judged, how to put yourself out there and put your face on the camera, overcoming all those fears basically. Uh, I like to call him the Tony Robbins of content creators. But anyways, we connected and it turns out that he has a fascinating story working behind the scenes with people like Scooter Braun, Pharrell Williams, and he had a really active part in Asher Ross' career taking off. And we're going to talk about all of that. And so I think there's a lot of takeaways from this episode because Tom has worked with some huge names in the music industry, and he ended up going his own route after exiting the music industry. And there was a little period of struggle and doubt and even depression. And eventually he figured his path and reinvented himself in the creator economy. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a fascinating one. Tom's really homey. Um, and he's also giving away $100 in digital book credits for one lucky listener. And this podcast is getting in the hundreds of downloads. So it's not, uh, it's not a huge amount. So it's very likely that you might win. Uh, all you have to do is listen through uh, the entire episode. And Tom is going to give you a keyword that you should comment on one of his latest uh, Instagram posts on bonus footage. All right. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. Tom. What's up, man? What's up, man? Good talking again. <laughs> Good talking again. So for those that haven't heard that episode, Tom actually was on the show already uh, in the interviewer's seat. Um, and he he shared my story, which is like super generous of him. And uh, I think as a result, you were inspired to start your own podcast, right? My man, let, let's jump right <laughs> into it. I, I did. I did. I realized in that episode how much I enjoy the interviewing process, especially people whose stories I'm, I'm, I'm curious about. So I'm starting a new podcast. It's called Creators Are Brands. And uh, yeah, it, it focuses on storytellers who are building brands and businesses around their stories. Nice, yeah. And, and so many people 
uh, reached out to me and were like, that interview was really inspiring. And like that guy, Tom, is like such a good interviewer. That makes my day. Jeremy, I was thinking on this show, I want to reward one of your listeners with a, a gift card to get some ebooks, to get, uh, whether it's Audible or Amazon, I'm going to give out a $100 gift card to someone. But the way that you get it is you have to pay attention to the show. And then randomly in the show, I'm going to drop a phrase. Let's say a week from the day that you drop your show, I'll, I'll open it up where anyone that comments this phrase on my Instagram at bonus footage, I'm going to put them in a digital raffle and I'll, I'll pick one of them to give a $100 gift card to buy some books to further their career. All right, let's do it, man. But you, so, so they got to pay attention to, to when the phrase comes up. Okay. All right, so let's rewind back because like, so I found out about you through your page bonus footage, which yep. um, the way I describe it to people is, is uh, it's basically, I think you're the Tony Robbins for like the creator economy. We're like really um, like helping creators, like giving them the tools, motivation, inspiration to get over their limiting beliefs about creating and their fears to help them to create like their best stuff. You know, and just like start putting stuff out there. Not, not even best stuff, but like just start putting themselves out there. Um, getting over their fears and and uh, like helping the world with like sharing their story. You know, you say it so well, and and you know, I don't know if I should say this, but when when you're when 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 you stop working with Noah, maybe you could come <laughs> just be my manager because <laughs> I love the way that you explain it. But yeah, man, I, I, my background was the music industry, and then I started creating music myself. And then I started getting fascinated with people that were building their brands through YouTube, through TikTok, through Instagram, people that were just, you know, from people that would create content around, you know, like fixing bicycles and like have a YouTube channel where they're making thousands of dollars a month. I was like, this is accessible to anyone. And then I started to see the same limiting beliefs that would affect, you know, a YouTuber was the same thing that would affect a musical artist when I worked in the music industry. And I saw all these consistencies. So a lot of people talk about how to get attention, how to get seen, how to get all the likes. But my thing is like, how do you make that sustainable? How do you make it enjoyable? How do you create it so you don't have toxic relationships and uh, you're proud of the work that you make? Because I, uh, you know, we learned the hard way and, and made a bunch of stupid stuff and aren't entirely proud of everything. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sharing the insight so, so people can do it a little better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like you, you have, I mean, right now you're kind of like, again, <laughs> Tony Robbins of the creator economy. Man. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I feel like a lot of people that, that follow you, like your account and um, like, what, like what you post, like aren't super aware of like your background in the music industry. Um, yeah. So I'd love to dig into that and like, First of all, like how how did that get started? Like how how did you end up in the music industry? Yo yo, you're a great interviewer, man. I feel I feel comfy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my I grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I don't want to do the whole grow up story, but it's important to the story. I ended up going to college at Westchester, Pennsylvania, for health and phys ed. And at the time, I knew in my core I didn't want to become a teacher. I liked teaching, I liked coaching, but I didn't like the idea of you know, there's you know my whole family are teachers. My my dad, my brothers, my uh, my my sister in laws, my mom. Everyone's in education, and 
and uh, they love it and they do a great job because they're passionate about being teachers. But I knew that I was like, I'm not the type to be able to deal with like the standardized testing, the parents, the school board. Like I'm, I'm kind of like wanting to do my own thing, right? There was like, I started to see in college that there was so many restrictions when it comes to that were that were on top of the actual teaching aspect. I didn't know what interest I wanted to pursue. I just knew that it wasn't entirely that. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm kind of floating through, you know, partying, getting after it, doing like the, the typical, uh, at least in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, the typical college experience at, at a state school. Not, you know, just because I wasn't passionate about something. And, you know, what's the, what do you do when you're not passionate about something? You you follow distractions and you just, like, you know, you party in college. Um, so in the process, there was this guy that was making music. And I, I came across his work because the guy that lived across my dorm, he went to his high school and his music started circulating on campus a little bit. And so, you know, I met this kid randomly at a party one night. He was just rapping and freestyling. And I was like, that, that kid's really cool. But he was like, he was pretty, <laughs> he was in another mind, mind state uh, because of we were at a college party. So we met or whatever. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm driving down the street to work and I'm driving late. And I see the kid and I'm like, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the musician. And he's like waving down the alley. And I'm like, oh, he, 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 he recognizes me. So he comes up to the car and he's like tucking in his shirt and he's like, Yo, bro, can you drive me to work? I'm running late. <laughs> and like, and like, I'm like, I was like, oh yeah. And like, so I, I said something. It was clear that he did not remember meeting me. It was all good. So, so I told him, I was like, yo, man, I'm I'm running late too. And then I thought about, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll drive him, whatever. I'll, I'll I'll eat the late ten minutes or whatever. So. I drive into work, uh, and on the way we start talking about some hip hop and and some uh, you know just like you know songs he's enjoying and and it was like very surface level stuff. We we exchanged numbers and 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 that was it. A couple of weeks later, I had a party. I invited him over. I was like I was a bit of like a connector in college. Uh, that I, if if anything, if the the takeaway from college uh, for me. It, you know, it wasn't on the educational as side of it. It was more from like the you know, learning social skills and learning how to develop, you That's know, connections. You know, I, I would meet people, literally I'd meet in, I'd become friends with people, I'd meet in line in the cafe. And it was just, I don't know, it was just something that was, uh, I know my mom's always been like a connector. She always treats everyone as if, their friends already, and, and that's what I did at college, and and this was one of those relationships. So I, I invited the dude out, comes to the house, and at the at the party, I would always play music for people. Like in my room, it'd be like the low key party, right? We'd all be hanging out, you know, doing doing a couple shots, and I'd play his music for people, and like, uh, and, and people were out there, and I was like, yo, you guys got to hear this, and I started like hyping him up. I started like taking on the role of like promoting him at at, at this party. So then like there's a, there's a there's a couple good reactions. And then I start to just do this more regularly. Like, yo, there's this guy on campus. There's a guy on this campus. And I start connecting with this guy and the guy. I didn't even say his name yet. It's Asher Roth. So at the time, um, you know, there weren't any artists really like him in the hip-hop world. He was a suburban white kid that was very different than what the hip-hop world was at the time. Besides, you know, Kanye West, who, who was just emerging on the scene, or he was a couple years in at that point. I start to notice that his inner circle wasn't really pushing his music and 
And I was like, I was like, guys, like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, like, how come we're not screaming this from the rooftop? Like, this is so cool. This guy makes music. And at the, and at the time, you couldn't just, you know, people didn't have SoundCloud. Like, you couldn't, just, like, the, like you, if you wanted a studio session, you had to book a studio session at an official studio. Like, there, it, all the tools that people have now, they weren't accessible. So it was rare for someone to, like, be trying to make music and being a recording artist on their own. Uh, and, and not as a hobby. So he was going to school for education. And I was just like, listen, I'm going to start screaming this guy's work from the rooftops. And we became friends in the process. I'd drive him to studio sessions. I'd, I'd help him sell his mixtapes. You know, I would, you know, I, I got a little uh, JVC camera. I would record little shorts and just put them on YouTube. Just like people got to see it. Like genuinely, like no interest besides... N- wanting people to see my friend's work because we, we became friends at that point. Was he, and, uh, what, what, where was he at as far as like before, before meeting you, as far as like his yeah. aspirations? So at, at that point, he was putting out music and he recorded stuff at, for like his, one of his high school classes, right? He like had like a really cool teacher. They recorded stuff and he recorded with a with a high school friend and he had some content. And then through that, through his sister's friend, this guy started investing in some of, in, it, it was like a pseudo manager type, but the relationship wasn't great. The guy would like give him some money to for recording sessions to, to make the CDs. And he just, there wasn't really much synergy between their relationship. So like, that's where I kind of came in as like a, just like day-to-day, like marketing friend consultant, like uh, just just like literally just following my curiosity saying, hey guys, you got to see this. And in hindsight, I started to realize that like, oh, I have a creative muscle too. At the time, you know, you know, like I said, my whole background was teachers. Like, I didn't think that I thought like creativity was reserved for like people with paintbrushes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that you could apply it in business and marketing, and you know, just uh, you know, social interactions. And I started to to realize this, um, whether it was subconscious uh, or not. I, I just started to like enjoy it, and I had I, that direction that I didn't have. I started to have, and uh, so it became like this project that we we would continue to work on. And so from there, though, uh, again, he, he, he was kind of pseudo working with this guy, but didn't love the relationship and, you know, talking about how he didn't want to work with him anymore. And then at the t- same time, I bought this little mic from Staples that was supposed to be for like, 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 I don't know, like video conferences back then. And it was, it was like 40 bucks. We started making songs in my bedroom at our college house. And at that point, it was the following year, we, he moved across the street from me and we would take old instrumentals and we'd just come in and we'd freestyle, we'd make songs. They were just to make our friends and roommates laugh. Like, not to like blow up, not to be anything special, just to make our friends giggle. They were, they were never supposed to be heard by the world. Eventually, um, the, the, he has this set of these mixtapes that that guy invested in. And I was like, well, we might as well sell them and make some money. So uh, I make a, fa- a Facebook group. Before Facebook groups were popping, I put my number in the... Uh, in, in like the description, hey, call this number. I will meet you. There's five bucks. I was meeting people at like South Campus. I was like driving to freaking uh, Burger King and, or like, you know, I was driving wherever and just like meeting people and like sliding in the mixtapes. And, you know, and then I like give Ash some of the money. He'd give me some of the money. And, you know, it wasn't like, it was like a couple hundred dollars. It wasn't crazy. That's uh, gay for college kids. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. So 
we move forward. And uh, I remember we're coming back from Penn State and Astro broke up with his girlfriend at the time. And his girlfriend went to Penn State. We're driving back. We were in like seven hours of traffic coming back. It's supposed to be like three and a half. And on that ride home, he said that he was going to quit music and just focus on teaching. And in my head, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> we're doing this. Like, like, stop playing, right? So so we get home. He goes across the street. We're, we're feeling kind of like, I don't know, just kind of deflated. And, you know, he's not feeling the momentum he wants um, with his music. And then I'm sitting there playing Madden on a Sunday night. And I get this phone call. And it's this deep voice. And it says, give me the details on Asher Roth. So I clink, hang up the phone because <laughs> he was getting, he was getting, no, his, his house was getting noise violations a lot at that time. Like they, their, their house was like, like, you know, their people were watching their house, right? So I, I was like, yo, was that the cops? Like I didn't know who it was. It just did not sound like someone I trusted. The person calls me back. And he says, this is the most important phone call of your boy's career. So I was like, no, that's bold as heck. So this guy starts talking to me. And this guy is named Scooter Braun. And Scooter Braun is, at the time, a party promoter. So he sends me to this website. And he's like, he's like yeah, man, like check out this website. <laughs> and it's like, it's like this article of him. He's like shaking hands with Kanye, shaking hands with Snoop, like with Ludacris. So I'm like, you know, we're a little, at that time, it was so, you couldn't just DM people. You couldn't just find people's contacts the way that you can today. I mean, this stuff did not exist. So like talking to someone that knew Kanye West, like, like in a photo, yo, we, I flipped out. I'm on the phone with him i'm like i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm like i'm like i'm getting real hype so he talks to me for about like 15 minutes and he was and then i was like yo do you want to just talk to asher and he was like yeah can you put me on the phone with him and i was like yeah let me call you back in two minutes so i sprint across the street i'm telling you i i jump over the stairs i i run to the asher's front front door it's locked i run to asher's back door it's locked i'm knocking i'm knocking then asher has this side basement door and i'm like bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like oh, bro. and then like asher opens the door and like he's like what and i was like bro this guy knows kanye west <laughs> i was like we gotta call him and uh so so um asher's like yo we'll call him tomorrow and then i was like no bro and then i pulled up the website he looks at it and he's like all right i'll call him tonight he calls scooter back and again Scooter does not have an artist at this time. And, and he, he's making these big claims. He's talking to Asher. Asher, I remember, talked to him for an hour. And Asher, I, can, I know when he, I know when he like gets, like you can see when he's like kind of like, his nerves are going because he, he was like rearranging the chairs around his dining table for like an hour straight. Like he was just on the phone, like rearranging like everything. And I'm just like sitting there like, a, like yo, what's he saying? What's he saying? Uh, so he gets off the phone and I remember him getting off the phone and we were like, we woke up all his roommates. We thought we made it. Like we were down in this basement. They started rolling up stuff, like getting out some drinks. Like we were, we were, we were flipping the freak out. Um, 
some time goes by and like Scooter doesn't talk to us. <laughs> like, like nothing happens, radio silence. So I start messaging him. I'm like you know, on Facebook at the time and saying, hey, like, you know, here's some songs we're working on. I'm just, I'm like peppering like little things that we're making. And they're like the roughest, rawest, stupidest demos. It's like me, it was me and this another friend and Asher. We would just like say stupid lines on these songs. So uh, eventually a couple months goes by and Asher... Um, hits Scooter after leaving Borat and he says, trust your gut, let's make moves. And for some reason, in hindsight, like looking back, like we don't know why we put so much uh, attention into like this relationship with Scooter because he legitimately did not have anyone at the time. (laughs) Like, He basically just just had like a sales page. Exactly. (laughs) He had like a landing page. Pictures of him where he like probably randomly crossed paths with like Kanye and like shaking hands. Exactly. Exactly. And we believe the story. Yeah. So so he says, trust your gut, let's make moves. And then he's like, listen, if you can get down here this weekend, I think it was the BET Awards in Atlanta. He said, I'll introduce you to some people. So Asher gets a flight, he flies down. And I remember he comes back and it was my birthday. And we all sat in my basement. And Asher, we, Asher like sat there, we had whiskey, and he starts telling stories about how he's meeting Shaka Zulu, how he's meeting Luda, how he's meeting Soldier Boy. Like, and we're like losing our crap. <laughs> like we're we're like, yo, bro, we made it. And like we're like, <laughs> like we didn't do anything. So time goes by again, and like nothing really happens. Eventually, um, spring break rolls around. And Scooter, Scooter was like, all right, if you can get down here, I'll get you a session with Ben Allen. So uh, spring break rolls around and I was like, yo, like, how are we going to get there? We have no money to get down there. And like Ashley was like, yo, we could drive. So, so him and I drive to Atlanta for three days, right? We drive to Atlanta for three days. Um, and he gets the session with Ben Allen. They 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 create a song called "Cheat on Your Boyfriend." <laughs> it's so it was so stupid, but we're down there, and I'm seeing the world now. And like we go to Scooter's penthouse. I'm sleeping on Scooter's couch. He's taking us all around. Like I ate, I ate sushi for the first time ever. You know, <laughs> we're like we're like going to these little posh restaurants. He's just and like he clearly knows people. He, I don't, we don't, we still are like not really sure what he does. We get to his, like his apartment. It's a high rise apartment complex. Uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a great apartment, uh, or a condo probably, that's probably what he would categorize it as. But still now I'm like, now I see, okay, the world's real. And we, we drive back. He fly, or I drive back by myself. Scooter gets a meeting with him and Steve Rifkin at that time. And Steve Rifkin had a label at SRC, and and he got a meeting with Jay Z. So he was like, "Asher, I'm gonna, um, we're gonna take the demos that you recorded. We're gonna play them for Jay, and we're gonna play them for Steve Rifkin." And and uh, so, boy, you got to drive home by yourself. And I remember driving home, and like my car broke down like five times. And one time in Baltimore, on on the way home, it, it, you know, it's a it's a it's like a 12 hour drive. It's, it's not. And then your car breaks down. It's like a, it's a really long drive. So, but I was doing whatever I had to do. I was just like, yo, I'm here for the mission. So Asher ends up landing a deal eventually with Universal. So that was really cool. Asher drops out of school and starts to like sort of focus on it. There isn't much traction uh, and then Scooter says, all right, you got to move to Atlanta and tells Asher this. 
Asher calls me and goes, yo, we got to move to Atlanta. I had a year and a half left of school because I transferred and all of my credits didn't transfer. And I, you know, to get the teaching major, I had a year and a half left. So I was like, yo, there's no way I can move to Atlanta. And so then a couple of weeks go by and Scooter calls me. And I remember sitting, sitting there and Scooter goes, hey, <laughs> it, was, it was wild how he framed this. And this is how Scooter's a master salesman. He was like, listen, he was like, listen, I just signed a 13-year-old that sings like an angel and is a future Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he's moving down to Atlanta in six months. You guys got to get here as soon as you can. He was like, because as soon as he gets here, all of my attention will be going to him. <laughs> so I'm like, what the heck? Well, this guy is so bold. Like, 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 how does he, like, but for some reason, I believed him. So I figured out a way. I went to my counselor and I was like, hey, is there any way that I can graduate early? And like, based off of all the credits I have, and because I knew my parents would would murk me if 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 I if I uh, if I didn't finish school, I had to finish school. So I found out a way that I could graduate that semester. Wow! So yeah, and I didn't have to do, but I didn't have the full. I didn't have the, the, the full teaching degree. I had like a professional studies degree, which I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, so I was able to graduate. And so we, we get in a U-Haul. Oh, no, 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 no. Before that, before that, as we're picking houses, I remember Scooter. He was on Craigslist finding us houses and he walked through. Like you couldn't just film with anything then. He, he went to this house. He brought his laptop and he opened it up and he's walking around and he films it and he's there with the landlord and he's just filming it and like it could have been any house at the time we would have been like yeah we're going <laughs> you know so he he like filmed it he said this is the rent we're like yeah yeah whatever so we said yes to the house we we get in a u-haul and we drive down there so now we're in Atlanta. Now we're really in Scooter's world. I get a job at a gym at the Lenox Mall, and I get a job at a restaurant serving tables. Asher gets Asher's money starts to run out from the label deal. He gets a job working at a pizza joint, and the other guy we, we live with got a job working at a, at a restaurant. So we're down there, and we're two weeks in, and we're like, what the hell did we do? <laughs> you know, like, we had it all going for us. Like, like you know, we were like in college. We were like, we're down here. And Scooter, you know, he's he's big time down there. You know, we didn't see him as much at the beginning. In his mind, he was like, yo, make stuff happen and bring it to me. So he, he the one thing that he did do, he's, he, got a, he got some money the, out of the marketing budget from the label and we put a studio in the basement. Now, at the same time, the basement... We legitimately had rats the size of squirrels. What? Like we would be recording and we just hear the trash can like rattling. So we're down there in between working and and, and, and was was Scooter paying you guys his rent or did he just like no, find a plan? No, okay. No. No, he kind of sold it like he was though <laughs> before we came down. I promise you, yo, he's a little shysty uh, in a in a great way. But uh, yeah, we thought he was. We thought he was going to. Uh, but no, that's why that's why we were all working down there. Uh, but we had the studio there, and in hindsight, he should, definitely should have paid for it. <laughs> but but uh, so we're down there recording songs, but also have this job at the same time. And every now and then, it would be wild, right? Like. We'd just be like, man, college was so much fun. We 
didn't have to, uh, you know, I remember one specific weekend we were supposed to go to New Orleans to party and the the ride that we were supposed to go with bailed on us and like we me and Astro were sitting there on a Friday night and we were like yo we didn't have to drive six hours in college just to like go have a good time because the neighborhood that Scooter moved us into it was this really nice neighborhood all the houses in the neighborhood were knocked down and rebuilt except for one and it was ours. <laughs> so we were in <laughs> this residential, <laughs> yeah, we were in this residential neighborhood, bunch of college kids. Like we were like, and we, but we like, we realized like the first, the first week or so, like we were like, you know, still flying high. We're like, we're on vacation. But then we realized, oh, we have to pay rent. We, we have to, Asher's music has to be successful. <laughs> you know, we're like, we're like, we had to take this seriously now. So we, we were like just in this mode where we were taking the old ideas and we were like, putting them into new songs, the, the ideas that we recorded at our, at our house in, in Westchester. And we were recording them. And, the, and one night when this guy, guy bailed on us, um, we were talking about, and, and Asher had this idea he like, um, of this like melody for a song. And, and uh, we, you know, we opened up the beat. The beat was from Mike Karen. And we were like, yo, let's make a song about missing college. Because... It, and it wasn't even about the party side. It was more about like the communal side, the social side, right? Like we could walk across the street and our best friend would be there. Now, like where it was like clear, like, oh, we got to be adults now. This sucks. <laughs> so it was like literally like that angst of like how you feel right after you graduate college. And we made a web diagram and wrote college in the middle. And then we just wrote all these like little nuggets of ideas, things that we reminisced on. And for the most part, uh, if we were to collaborate on a song, he would be, you know, the melody and the harmony uh -huh. of the song. He would be the musical aspect. And I've always had one-liners. So in the past, even at college, like, I would create a verse, our friend would create a verse, Asher would create a verse, and then, like, Asher would, like, kind of, like, structure it so it sounded like a song, like, as a, almost a producer. But I would always have bars, like, one-liners that were, like, catchy, that would stand out. So this instance, this night, we're going back and forth, and uh, we just, this song develops very quickly. And he already had the melody, like the, the melody idea for the hook. And we just start plugging in the words, right? And then we, we, call, we call the engineer, the, an, an engineer that Scooter connected us with. We were like, yo, get over here. We're recording the song. It's called I Miss College. And, and he comes over. Then we, then we write the second verse. And then we write the the the, bri the the bridge, and it was the fastest a song was ever created, and the song was called "I Miss College." Then we changed the song to "I Love College," because we wanted people before and after school to to enjoy it, or no, before and after college. Like you know, anyone you know, if it's just "I miss," it's just you know, it's only for people that have already went. Yeah. But so I could I could tell from the energy from the engineer that there that was there that night because he worked with T-Pain, he worked with a lot of big people that created big songs. I felt that there was something different in the air. Because I remember, I remember overhearing him call Scooter, and he's like, yo, we're up to something, <laughs> right? And, and at the time, the only single Scooter had was the Cheat on Your Boyfriend song. Uh -huh. Like, that's the song that they were going to go. And it was like, it was like it, once you hear that song, you're like, you're like how, how could you ever go with that song? Um, so I remember the following Sunday, we go to Scooters to play it for him for the first time. 
And we walk in and there was an NBA basketball player there. And there was, uh, his sister was there. There was another guy and it was me and Asher. And at halftime, we played the song. And it was the game that uh, the Giants beat the Patriots. And we're sitting there in Scooter's condo. And we're playing this song, like this high rise of condo. We're playing this song. And I see Scooter's eyes, like, like pop, pop out of his brain, right? Like he hears it and I could see his, like it literally the dots connecting in his brain. Like he was like, this is in, in hindsight, okay, now I can brand. Now there's a brand here. Now I know how to market this kid. Now I know the direction of where to take this kid's brand. And then that's when Scooter started doubling down. I started seeing Scooter a lot more after yeah. that. Uh, you know, he, you know, pitching to reality shows. And Scooter was a brilliant marketing mind. He would bring Astro to these studios. He would have him do an acapella freestyle, like just perform for these guys. Then he would have me record the interaction, then have me edit it and put it on and put it online. And at the same time, what, what was bringing, it at the time? Was it like MySpace or? It was, it was partly MySpace and it was partly um, Facebook actual pages just started at the time so we i remember like at the end of that year we what, like what created year is his this? first 2008 okay so it was a minute ago um so and and one thing in hindsight uh about the initial phone call about the initial phone call that scooter called me on uh this is something that i didn't highlight originally but it was, it was clear that if Scooter would have called the pseudo-manager that Asher had at the time, he would have never gotten through to Asher. So that was the number that was on Asher's MySpace. But he did his research and found me, someone that appeared more like a friend, knowing that he could get to, get to Asher yeah, that way. Because if he called the pseudo-manager, the guy would have, no, he's my artist, right? But at the time, we were like, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, he would have protected it. He would have protected that relationship. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, like, we knew that he was on the outs with him. So it was like, it was a no brainer for us. So now, yeah, we're in Atlanta. Um, Scooter, the Astro makes the mixtape. Scooter brings, brings us over, or there's a song on it called Roth Boys. And uh, for that song, he gets Akon to come to our house for the music video. And be like, be in the shots. Now, Scooter is a, like, he is a brilliant marketing and business mind. I've never seen someone, like, it, it was so, like, even now looking back, I'm like, why did we believe him so much? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, at the time, he had no track record. But, like, the way he carries himself, it's like he already has the track record. Yeah. It's like he's been there before. So he would do these, he would pull these things out of thin air all the time. And uh, yeah, so so we're just putting the stuff out, and then that's when Justin moves to the neighborhood, Justin Bieber. So Scooter moves Justin to our same neighborhood, and the kid moves into the house. And right then, it, he had a couple of viral YouTube videos at the time, and I remember one of the first videos that, like, this is actually my first client moment as a video creator that I didn't realize in, in total hindsight, and he never paid me for it. But so I'm going to invoice him. Mm -hmm. Scooter comes into our basement and he has a flip cam and he says, dump this footage and I need you to edit for me and I need, I need it to be up in an hour. And I was like, 
all right, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I open it up and it's Justin Bieber meeting Justin Timberlake. And it's in, it's still on the internet somewhere. And he was like, I need this up on the internet because what he was doing, he was creating leverage to then go to, he wanted to go on TMZ because you knew if, if you did that, right? Like, like people, like all the blogs, right, would pick that video up. Like Justin, B, Justin Timberlake is meeting this, this young artist. So I, he stood over my shoulder. He like tell me, told me what fonts to use, like what to cut where. Like he was just telling me everything to do. I'm editing it for him. And then he pumps it out. It was on the news later that night. And I'm starting to see these things. I'm like, yo, Scooter is a magician. I don't know how the heck he does this stuff. Um, so yeah, that was the first editing experience that I, 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 I ever did for a quote-unquote client. I did it for Justin Bieber and Scooter Braun, and he never paid me. But, <laughs> okay, hey, free, okay. free work, man, free work. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that goes up. And Justin, he lives, he lives about three football fields away. And uh, his mom would start dropping him off at our house because his mom was 34, 35 at the time and, and like had stuff to do in Atlanta. And we were his pseudo babysitters. We had four or three, three yeah, we had, there was another guy that lived with us too. So uh, at any given time, three to four guys that were just there that could like, you know, she, her son could play Mario Kart with. We would play washers in the front and yard. And you said and at the time the he was like 12, 13? Yeah, probably 13 at that point. That's a lot. And he was just like a curious, wide-eyed, great kid. And there was something about him too. He wasn't like a regular, like, I, he wasn't a regular 13-year-old. You know, he had so much swag and swag and confidence. One time, it was the day that Scooter got Justin signed. And I have footage of all most of all this stuff because I was just filming everything and I remember I, I, like in the video Justin's calling his mom and it's like so cute he's like hey mom can I go to the restaurant with um Tom Scooter and Asher <laughs> and like and like so the restaurant we were going to it was because it was it was like uh, it was going to be at like nine o'clock it was like a little later and uh so he comes with us and it was the day he got signed and we sat there, we all had dinner and then it was Ludacris's restaurant and it was a meeting for Asher. So we go up and Asher meets Luda and uh, there's footage of that on the internet too. And, um, and I, my job, my responsibility, Scooter was like, yo, just, can you just watch Justin tonight? Uh, because I'm going to be wheeling and dealing, you know, I'm going to have to be, you know, working the people a little bit uh, and Asher's going to be in these meetings. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch Justin. So I'm filming and I'm not entirely paying attention and totally lose Justin. Justin is not in the meeting room. I run around the restaurant. Justin's not in the restaurant. I go to Scoot. I'm like, yo, I don't know where Justin is. <laughs> like, I have no idea. Right? So I run outside and I have this footage too. I'm filming. I'm filming this stuff. I run outside and there's two extremely attractive women just like swaying back and forth. And I hear this voice singing, you got it bad by Usher. And it's a it's a thirteen year old's voice, and <laughs> Justin is just serenading two women on the street by himself. And I I look at Scooter, and I was like, Yeah, you you got one with this guy, <laughs> like 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 yeah, he's he's absolutely a star. Like who does that yeah. in their right mind at, at thirteen? Like who has the 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 guts to do that? That's wild. So. So this story is going pretty deep into that world. So that just shows you sort of what's going on. Eventually, I Love College takes off. Uh, 
and uh, we go on tours. We go on, we, we headline a tour back and forth with Kid Cudi. We go on a tour with Blink-182. We go on uh, an interna- a couple international trips. Uh, you know, I went to like 21 different countries. I uh, worked with Pharrell for two weeks in the studio with him. It was the most transform- transformative creative experience I've ever had. He is the prototype for how an artist should conduct their career. The guy, like all the other rooms that we were in up to that point, the studio sessions would be at 3 a.m. Everyone's drinking and smoking. It's, you know, toxic environments. Pharrell came in every day at 9 a.m. He'd come in with his wife and his kid. They'd sit in the other room, play games, watch TV. He'd start, he'd look at Asher. He'd look at me too. By like the fifth day, he was looking at me too. He'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, yo, what's the idea of today? So he would just have a conversation with us and then pull, lift the idea out and then build a, a beat uh, uh, around it. He would create the shell for that beat. And then he would say, all right, I'm out. And he'd leave it like one or two. Right? Really? He'd be there for a couple hours. Yeah. And then he'd say, all right, finish it. So then he would keep us there with his co-producers and his, and his engineers, and we'd finish the song all night. He'd come in the m- next morning, and we'd do it again. So this was a and collab between Asher and Pharrell? Like yes, for one they song, created an, al- an album. They, no, they created a twelve-song album wow. in two weeks. In two weeks, and it was over the. It was. It was actually during Super Bowl weekend in Miami. So let me bring you into that. Like, so I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know, and the reason I, I gotta be very clear. The reason I'm bringing all of this up, like, like, look at me. I'm a regular bull. <laughs> I'm a regular guy, right? Like, uh, it's it's like I felt like a fish out of water in every single scene that I'm in, and and I was like very curious. I was like. Even even in the like, what I'm trying to say is, it's possible. Like like the reason I even do all of the bonus footage stuff, I've seen this stuff like just because of a couple right moves, just because of a couple key connections. Yeah. I've seen stuff change overnight for people. It's like I, the the comparison I use is like maybe back in the day, you know, uh, you know, a tribe would go and and you know, a guy would go off on his own and be like, "Yo, I um I hiked for three days and I saw this." this waterfall and it's this flourishing jungle of, of like, of, of, of life and, and, and trees and animals. And like, and he comes back to his camp and says, guys, we got to go there. Like that's where the food is. And then everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like that, that doesn't exist there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah. Like I saw a 13 year old, like singing songs in a rat infested basement. I saw a song recorded in a, a, a um, uh, a closet where we had Scooby-Doo blankets, like, uh, like dampening the sound. And then I saw that song become so big that we were in Cologne, Germany, and people that didn't even know the language were saying slang that we wrote in that song back. He ran that song back three times in Cologne, Germany. And I, like, I've seen that happen. So like, it's the power of ideas. Not necessarily, like, I don't think that's a great prototype for the right idea to put into the world. I'm not even entirely, I'm not proud of that song. At the time, like, we didn't think that it was going to be big. Yeah. But it's just the example. Like, this is why I share, like, it's important. I, I love sharing this story because I see the consistencies of what Pharrell did. And I'm like, any YouTuber, any TikToker could learn from the way that he approached his craft. Uh, so the, the one thing I'll share about that week, um, it's going to be a little bit of a humble brag. Uh, so I would always, you know, kind of, 
in bigger rooms, I would, uh, I would try to let, you know, Asher take the front seat. I would try to not like, uh, like over, uh, oh, you know, become like the, make it about me. Uh, but a lot of times the way that we would create would be, I would write a verse and then, you know, it would either inspire him to write a better verse or it would, he would take some of the bars from my lines and put it into his own. So at that time, like Pharrell and I had this like incredible synergy. And I was just like, you know, every day, like I'm telling you, by the fifth day, he was looking at me, he's like, boy, what do you got? And like, I would just have these ideas. And like, so like he makes this song and it was called I'm Nice. And I wrote a verse for it. Asher wrote two verses and there was one more open verse. And it was at the time when Pharrell left the studio. And I was like, and my a guy that was working with us there, his name's Jason Salvador, was was like, yo, boy, put your verse on the song. Like he wanted me to actually rap it. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, like this is Asher's session. This is not about like my stuff. Like we can do that for the mixtape songs. It's not about me. And he said, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, he used expletives. I'm not explicit, expletives. I'm not going to say it. But he basically said, uh, <laughs> "Man, man, man up, man up, and walk in the booth and and own it." So I went in and I did it, and I one taked it. I one taked it, and I walked out of the studio. And the engineer was just like, "All right, all right, boy." Like, like he was like he was like psyched about it. And I'm telling you, I put all my heart and energy into it. And the reason I also didn't want to record it is because I didn't want it to like. I had a good thing going with Pharrell. I, if I put my actual words on the song, then it was open for his judgment. Like, like yeah. then he could really be like, uh, I'm not really down with Boyd, right? Like, I don't really like his taste or style. And like, that would like crush me, you know, an idol of mine to like, just say that I'm, I'm I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't crap. Um, so the next day, Pharrell comes in, they preview the song. And he, he he's sitting there, he's listening, he's doing his normal head bob. And he's just listened to, he listens to Asher's first verse. Then he listens to Asher's second verse. <laughs> and then, and then my verse comes on and he starts like, he starts double timing, bro. <laughs> like he starts double timing and I'm like, I'm shaking. I'm like in the corner. I'm like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> Yo, so then, so then he, 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 the song ends and he goes, was that Boyd? Was that Boyd? And he goes, he goes, run that shit back and then like yo i he comes up to me he dashed me up and he goes my mother effing man <laughs> and like dashed me up bro i am i'm like flipping the freak out he runs it back and like yo he was so stoked about it now pharrell is like he's so like still in hindsight i have imposter syndrome about that because i'm like all right that's just pharrell being pharrell like he's able to ignite the best in people so there there was a, probably a little bit of both in that but i remember going into the other room and it was like a it was like a moment in my like creative journey where i was just like like i do have it you know like like i i i do have something to offer yeah. uh, and and you know i wish it didn't take someone like that to like be the mirror to hold it up to me and say, yeah, but even if he didn't believe it or if he didn't, he made me feel like he believed it, you know? Uh, and then, uh, so that, that was just like a really, really cool moment in my creative career. And that's what I want to be with my content. Like I want to be that moment for people in their creative career. So when they hear my podcast, when they hear bonus footage, I want them to feel what I felt in that moment. That like, oh, 
it is possible. I do have it, and I can, and I'm gonna. <laughs> Dude, thanks for sharing that. It's such an amazing story, and I think it it really illustrates like what the value that you get from like working behind the scenes with people. Like some people, like like you're talking about scooter, right? Like some people just have it. They just have like a like a innate like faith in themselves, you know, of just like I'm the shit, you know. And like when you were talking about scooter, it almost made me think of that. Um, you know, like. Have you ever heard of like Steve Jobs, like reality distortion field? You know, it's just like it's like you. He's got you, it. You got it. You know, it's like you you yeah. you you imagine something. It's like you you believe in it so much, and it's like just make it happen. You know, but I think a lot of people have a lot of self doubt, and and uh, one of the most powerful things that can happen is like when someone you look up to acknowledges you and like basically believes in you more than you believe in yourself. I think that's so powerful, right? I just got the chills, man. I, it, there's a book I'm reading right now called Personality Isn't Permanent. And I bring it up a lot. I've I, heard I'm like on my third. Oh, you know, it's from the Tom Bilyeu podcast, man. Yeah. Um, and, and he talks about that. He says that, you know, people often think that like, oh, you got to do it entirely on your own. You got to believe it. Like a lot of people need that mirror hold, held up to them and just saying like, hey, you can. And that little glimmer of, of someone else reinforcing that you are capable goes a extremely long way. It can be the smallest little thing, the smallest little, hey, this made my day. And like, oh, if I could do that for one person, why can't I do that for 10? Okay, this is a quick break. This is, if you're paying attention, this is the phrase that I need you to write on my Instagram account, bonus footage, and this will enter you in the raffle for the $100 gift card to buy some books. The phrase is, sweet potatoes are yams. Again, sweet potatoes are yams. There it is. All right, good luck. Good luck. Excited to give this out to someone and back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Were there other moments besides that Pharrell moment, like either with Scooter or with someone else that uh, that kind of uh, reminded you of that? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the one, there, there was one, the first time I heard I Love College on the radio, it became very real that you... Again, we made this song in a rat-infested basement, <laughs> right? With Scooby-Doo dampening blankets that we got at, 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 you know, the thrift shop. And I was like, that's the moment when I was like, oh, like ideas, <laughs> like ideas can go pretty far in this world. You know, the, the power to think of something, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia basement and have this thing be played across the world. And, and I was like, there is extreme power here. And that was like sort of a moment where I was like, you know, when we made that song, we didn't think, oh, what's this image going to look like for Asher's brand? Like we didn't know, we'd never, th that was a hard knock education of the entertainment industry for us. We didn't realize like, oh, as soon as you put that song out, you're going to only be that person, <laughs> right? Like we don't want to be defined as those people. You know, it was a, it was a journal entry yeah. that became his brand that like in hindsight, like we're both like, yeah, we probably like, it's not like the, we, you know, we, it was a four year stint of college. I probably partied like one and a half of those years. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like the whole thing. It was like a, uh, it was just like a little moment that then became this guy's whole brand. So then just seeing that, how like one little idea like can go can become massive, right? That, that can have, create a lot of connection in the world. So that's why, yeah, that's why like when I say it's possible, I, I know I've seen it. I've seen it, but I want to do it like more from a 
like then we were just trying to prove to ourselves, prove to people back home that we could make it. So we were just going for attention. Now my focus is more shifting to impact and uh, yeah, like helping people thrive, helping people. You know, I think that um, I, I just want people that want to pursue a creative path to to, I want to give them the, the insights, the mindsets, whatever, the tools to be able to do that. Some people don't want to, and that's fine. I'm not for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, there was another moment where, I mean, I think, so as the career moved on, I'll get into the more current stuff that I'm doing. Um, Asher and I, the, the business started to get a little weird between everyone. Uh, and then he decided he didn't want his brand to go the direction that it was. So I moved home. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> I'm going to do it on my own. And so I started DJing and I started, I created my own music group. It was funny songs. It was like, it was like Lonely Island meets Asher's music. And then it was a, and then I created a clothing line. It's actually, it's, I'm wearing one of the throwbacks I here. I saw it before, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Honey John University. And so I started putting all of my ideas that I was putting into some of his merch, you know, some creative direction for his brand. I was like, I'm going to do that for myself. And it started to go incredibly well. We were, uh, you know, I linked up with this talented producer, a bunch of video gods were like, yo, let us shoot videos. And we were having so much fun on this project. Um, and, I, and I was at the time, like, it was hard for me to focus. Like, anytime, like, something would do well, I'd be like, oh, I'll do that. And then, like, oh, but this is cool over here, and I'll do that. So, like, I never entirely went all in on one of them. I was just kind of, like, be being a DJ, you know, that's how I was making most of my money. And then I was, like, having fun uh, building the the uh, uh, the clothing line and making these funny songs. And, like, there was a comment really early on on, a, on one of my videos that said, that made my day. And that was the, the comment that I kept holding on to. I was like, I want to make content that makes people's days. That gives them a little lift, a little lightness. You know, I'm, if you're going to come and watch my stuff, it means you're not taking life too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> because it's no fun. Yeah. And people can go check out your videos. They're still up, right? On the, like, what's yeah, the account? Yeah, so a lot of the best videos on that account I had to pull down. It's like not serving my brand. Like that's not the direction of my brand anymore. But the 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 one video. So we made a song, and uh, I always admired Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett for the brand that he built, because this guy created a song in the '70s that he has a billion dollar brand off of now. And I always admired his ability to turn that into something much bigger, especially when a lot of people would say, oh, he's not even that good of a singer. Or like, you know, like he's built this brand. In my opinion, he's the original creator. Uh -huh. he's, he didn't take a major deal. He went and created a song and, and that wasn't a, supposed to be a main a, a pop hit and then built this brand around it. So I always admired that. Um, but I also enjoy the beach. So we go to the beach uh, at Ocean City, New Jersey and Sea Isle. And I would always go to the beach and I would be there from... 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I would love it. My friends would make fun of me and they'd be like, yo, boy, you're, you're like Jimmy Buffett out here. And I'm like, yeah, I am. So I made this song called I Think I'm Jimmy Buffett and it was the group Ha Ha Yo. That's still up. And it didn't, you know, it's, it still only has like, you know, like 110,000 views. But at the time, it doesn't matter who views it. And one of the people that viewed it was Jimmy Buffett's production manager. And he emailed me the following week and was like, yo, this is really cool. Uh, and at the time, I thought he was going to ask us to pull it down because we had a little sample of one of his songs in the video. And so I, I, I ended up uh, like, you know, like talking to him, and, but he, he absolutely loved it. And he raved about it. And he was like, I just want to get to know you. So they had a show. They came through, and I met him. And that's all it really was. We just kind of developed the relationship. Um, 
then like, you know, a year went by and uh, he invited us out to Jimmy's show in Las Vegas to meet him. And uh, I, the, the guy that I made the song with, Luke, we went out with two video guys and we filmed it and we made a documentary around meeting Jimmy Buffett. So like I said, at the time there was like 70,000 views, but only one view, like only one person in the right situation can see it and 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 provide an opportunity that is that is life changing. So this opportunity, then uh, we connected with with Jimmy. I met Jimmy on camera. It was a it was a really awesome moment. Uh, continue to develop the relationship with the brand. So they started seeing these vlogs because they're all the people from their team, Margaritaville, started following my accounts and they started to see these vlogs that I would put up and they said, "Yo." Like it was at the time Casey Neistat was vlogging. So I was doing my own vlogs. They, again, they were getting like a couple thousand views, but the right people saw it. And they said, can you come do that for us? So I started doing these one-off little videos and I'm, I'm less, like I'm a part content creator, but part marketer at the same time. So they really like, were like, this guy gets how people consume content. So that's why we want him. It wasn't for the quality. It was for like the way I was creating yeah. it. Uh, so I continued to develop the relationship. Nothing really happened. So uh, this is similar to your, your, your Bill You story. Uh, so probably like two or th three years go by. And, you know, I, I did these one-off little, you know, moments with them, um, meeting their team, more of their team. Then I was like, you know, I started to get hired by more brands at the time to do one-off consulting gigs, one-off videos. And it, it kind of, that became the, the core of my business. I was making more money on that than anything else. I was doing more of that. So I was like, I want to work with bigger, cooler brands now. And I was like, all right, who do I know? So I picked like 10 people that I knew. Um, and Margaritaville was one of them. And the James Altucher talks about building your idea muscle. And part of building the idea muscle is writing down 10 ideas every morning. Pick a subject, write down 10 ideas. And I would pick a subject for one week and I would write 10 ideas every single morning. So at the end of the week, I have 70 ideas. At the end of that, I had like seven or eight really good ones. <laughs> and I put them down on a list and I emailed the CMO. I said, hey, here's what you guys should do. <laughs> And like, so, so she's just like, oh yeah, this is cute. This so is had you guys met uh, before? Because you mentioned you we, had met some of the staff and stuff behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I, I never met her, but I was connected through email with gotcha. her. Gotcha. Um, but so yeah, I, I, I literally CC'd everybody that I knew from the company. It, it, I wouldn't even recommend that. Like I didn't even know the right person to go yeah. to. So I was just like, anyone I know, you're getting it. Um, and I didn't necessarily say I had to do them. I was just like, hey. You guys should do and this. And these were ideas the for videos they should do, or what? What kind of ideas? Videos, were these? series, content, um, even products. I had product ideas, uh, uh, ways to revamp their website, just anything, just to show that I have uh, of, of massive value. Hey, you can do them without me. If you're already working with people, tell them they they should do these. Um, I would say another like eight months goes by, and uh, so at, well, let me just paint the picture. At that time, they just create, put invested millions of dollars into building a media company. They hired like an ex-COO of, of Google. No, no, of YouTube to come in and run their, their media company. They got these massive office in New York City. They were building a whole media channel around content for the brand. And then I, I became friends with their social media manager at the time, like um, – this young guy, and How did he that suggested because because I think that's important as uh, well, right? Like just w w when I was vlogging, okay. when I was vlogging, um, I would go to the shows, 
And I, I met him. I remember at the restaurants, we would talk about our favorite books. And then at one of the shows, I was, I was talking about, we were both going keto at the time. So we, we like connected on that. You know when like you like had the same diet as someone? Oh, like yeah. We were like eating the same stuff at the cafe and we like, we like fully aligned like talking about that. Um, so it was just like, it wasn't about like getting a job or anything. I was just like talking, you know, casually, just becoming friends with the guy. And he was one of the people that was following me. So when they let go of her, he reaches out. And he's like, yo, would you want to come to our, no, he suggested to the CMO, hey, we, we should invite Tom down to our, our yearly marketing meeting. Like just to see if there was synergy, like nothing would really, you know, no promises, whatever. So they flew me down to Dallas and I, I went to their yearly marketing meeting and I, I came in, in hindsight, I shouldn't have done it, but I came in so hot. I came in with like ideas. I like, like all the people that worked there were probably like, yo, who is this <laughs> young buck? Like, who does like, he think he is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but again, that gave me the opportunity to create more relationships. Um, and then I got a monthly, then they put me on a monthly retainer to create content for wow. them. Wow. And I was in Westchester, Pennsylvania at the time, still am. And they were like, yo, uh, I was like trying to figure out how am I going to create this content in like the suburbs outside of Philadelphia for a brand that's known for like tropical getaways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I started creating content based around like the idea that it's a state of mind to like to flip the script and, um, you know, you can bring Mar Margaritaville wherever you go with you. And it started to work and they started to enjoy it. And then I started, you know, doing little t like writing TV commercials for them. Started, you know, uh, just like making these shorts, just like having fun with it. And then that became... Uh, eventually, after about a year and a half, then I started consulting with their social media team directly. Uh, I was uh, producing shoots for them, like for big new hotel, big new hotels, and they were like, "All right, we got to bring you in full time." And I was like, I didn't really, uh, I wasn't fully down for it at the time because I was like, it. I, um, I kind of liked having a couple different projects going on, a couple different ways of making money, and I was like, "This is going to tie me up," but it just ended up being the right fit. And uh, yeah, so I, I became full time with them. And so all from making that video, like probably like five years before, uh, I have a day job now with uh, Margaritaville and Margaritaville Resorts, which is a billion dollar lifestyle uh, and, and hospitality company. <laughs> That's wild, man. That's wild. And it's all from um, ideas. Again, coming back to ideas, right? Just like coming yeah. up with a bunch of ideas for them, connecting behind the scenes. Um, and then it seems like you did bring in that kind of like that bravado of like, hey, like it's happening. <laughs> you know? It's already happened, know. you know, from uh, from Scooter I, almost. I totally did, man. And I feel like I, I don't want to skip over. Um, there was like four to five years where you were doing, um, I mean, you were doing the um, Ha Ha Yo, right? Or you were, you were doing yep. your own content, but also um, you're doing your own clothing line, right? So can you can you talk about like what that was like? Like, um, I mean, that was pretty much like your first business, right? Like your per first business venture, uh, yeah. it seems like. And yeah, so I'll I'll tell you about yeah. that. The the one thing that I will say is that time too, it wasn't as like I mean, this is the high level version. That time wasn't as pretty and smooth as as like it might sound. I was my, my friend let me live at his house for really cheap rent. He was like, "Listen, I believe in you. Do what you got to do." So the clothing line. That happened sort of naturally. 
I, uh, I, w- I had a clothing line when I was on the road with Astro. It was called See Me. And I was, you know, people would buy it all the time. I was on Big Cartel. I had a buddy back home that was packaging stuff up and shipping it out. And, and randomly, um, when we went to perform at Westchester, they shut, they didn't let Astra come and they didn't like uh, the way he represented <laughs> the school. So I was like, and I had a Westchester University. If you look at the I Love College video, you'll see a, a green sweatshirt. It's probably down here. I still have it. I borrowed it from a friend. Uh, it said Westchester University. And I was like so proud to represent Westchester in that video. But when they wouldn't let us come to Westchester, I was like kind of butthurt. So I was like, I'm going to make my own college. So this word, Honey John, um, Fresh Prince said it. Will Smith said it in one of his early episodes. And I, he, he's someone that I think besides Pharrell and Jay-Z, he, he's someone that I, like it has been like an incredible role model for me. And I think is like the ultimate um, digital creator, especially like then and now. Uh, but he said it in one of his episodes and I always liked the word. I thought it had a really good ring. So like kind of like I was just like, let's just throw Honey John University on a sweatshirt. And it became by far the most popular item in the shop. It was one colorway. And uh, just, I got it to Justin. Justin wore it. Justin tweeted about it. If you type in Justin Bieber, Honey John, right now, like you'll see that. Uh, I got him wearing that at SNL. Uh, like, like he's rocking it, right? So that, that starts doing pretty well. And we're getting business. But I wasn't a, I was more of a creator marketer, right? I wasn't great at the business operations that you can probably see from this interview. <laughs> my mind's popping around but like it, uh, at the time like yeah so it was doing well all I cared about is people seeing it right and buying it I didn't I didn't like when it came to where to put the money how to reinvest it all the operation sides I was horrendous at it like probably the worst <laughs> right because um, at the same time I'm DJing and trying to grow the music group so I never entirely took it seriously uh, I was more just like oh it's cool that people are, are wearing it and uh, so, yeah, there's been a lot of times in the last couple of years where friends would be like, yo, boy, you got to restart that. Yo, yo boy, you got to like e- even people, big creators now restart it. I will definitely wear it and support it. But I know how much attention and focus it takes to build something. Yeah. And you and I talk about this a lot, like just focusing on on one thing. So maybe in the future, I'll, you know, I'll do some limited runs of it. But uh, the way I, I saw it is it was a huge portfolio piece. That, you know, there was people that would be like, yo, dude, I was like in Bahamas and I saw someone randomly. I, I was down in Austin and I saw someone randomly. It was like this kind of this familiar thing. Oh, you know about that? It was just like this this, this fun talking point that people would talk about. It was, it's like a sticky thing because what happens is when you wear it, people like it looks like it could be real. And they like they double take. They're like, wait, what yeah. is that? And so it sticks out in people's mind. What's, what's the biggest lesson you think you learned from um, from running that clothing line? So I think with that clothing line is where I learned most of what I know now about marketing um, around creating something out of thin air that like people would want. Like that is like such a fascinating idea. And uh, it, it, I, a lot of what I learned from that is what allowed me to actually get the job at Margaritaville because they weren't looking for just a video guy. They wanted someone that knew knew how to create like emotion and connection in the things that in the stories that they were creating online. Yeah. And that's and so that brand just uh, having to having to sell something, right? Having something to go from like literally just template on a website to 
someone's wearing it across, you know, in another continent. Like just all of the little touch points that have to happen from there to there, like writing the emails, um, you know, doing photo shoots, producing photo shoots, uh, doing little video shoots, like all of that stuff. I learned about like, I, I learned a lot about yeah what needs to, to happen for a product to go to market, uh, and I definitely screwed up a lot, but I I I learned a lot about what what works too. Nice, yeah. I mean those. I mean, I, it seemed like it was more almost like more than a side project, but like like just like every every side project you start, I feel like there's like just so much you learn from it. You know, it's like. Yeah, yeah, and that's something I say a lot. I feel like most people, if they want to, if they're the, the independent types, I think it's really important, just like you're doing with this podcast, like I'm doing with my podcast and stuff, and, and that's, it's so important to have something that you are the decision maker from start to finish. Uh-huh. E- even if you're saying yes or no to things, because if you're not, that, if because that way you're fully invested and you're accountable for what happens on the front end and the back end. And when you do that, you learn differently. You have to pay attention differently. When I work for someone else, it's not really my baby at the end of the day, like regardless of how much I can like mentally get myself in that place. Like when it's something yourself, like you care about it differently. And because of that, you retain information differently. I remember one of the times, I, I probably one of the times I sent out an email and, uh, and I CC'd, I, I, I wanted to BCC everyone, but I CC'd everyone um, on the email list. And it was thousands of people. And one person, I guess, had a bad experience with getting their, their stuff. Like maybe it never came. So that person responded to everyone saying that I was a fraud, saying that uh, it, this company was a scam, that we were stealing their money. And I remember being so like hurt by that because I knew I knew that wasn't the case. I knew I was like, I literally am not even in this to make money. I, I just think it's cool that you're wearing it, you know? Like I, I genuinely, like it was th- that point. I remember that point. I That might've been a point that was like a inflection point for losing momentum for that. Cause I, I was like, I really felt that bad that like I looked that way to everyone in my email list and, and, and all of the customers. So I was like, I was kind of like sh- ashamed of it. And even though I knew it wasn't the true and like that happens, especially at that time when I had my buddy, like you couldn't just pay a company to do it. At that time, my buddy was like just like shipping it out of his bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 you know, you know, stuff's not going to show up all the time. Uh, so I was like, yo, bro, I, I refunded his money right away. I was like, listen, we'll get you whatever you want. Um, but yeah, that, those lessons don't entirely happen when you're like, like if you can have a side project like you're doing with with this this podcast, like you care about it differently. And what happens is you learn stuff that you can then apply to what you're doing with Noah. Yeah. When I'm creating my own content, I learn stuff that I can apply to my job with Margaritaville or, or with any other, you know, anyone else. So going um, going into like getting like basically going full time with Margaritaville. Um, I did you still have a side project when you started? And so I'd be curious to hear like that's that that transition from like you had you're basically like trying trying to get your side projects going, then going into like yeah. basically shit, I have to make money, right? So <laughs> let's let's yeah, start working yeah. with clients and then like getting going full time with Margaritaville. I'm curious like if you had like a kind of like a lull in side projects and like if that's the case, like if those like how those pick, picked up uh in the long run yeah. and Experience yeah. Of that. yeah, I definitely had a lull inside inside projects, and I definitely started to get depressed uh-huh. in the process. 
I, I truly, I, I didn't know that depression existed. And I don't know if, you know, I, I, don't, I was never clinically, no one ever said, but I, there was a, there was a eight months there where I, I was sleeping in later. I was going to sleep earlier. I was like, I was sluggish. I like, I just, I didn't have the same, the same, like, um, like gusto that I, that I have, uh, that I, that I typically would have every day. And I think a lot of it was because of, you know, so much of my time was just dedicated to, yeah, the, 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 the day, the day, um, job at the time. And yeah, I started to put everything else I was doing on the, on the, on the backseat and then just wasn't doing that. But I realized like, this is, this is, you know, a lot of people have hobbies. This is my hobby. Content creation is my hobby. Like, uh, working with creative people, developing relationships. Like that is what I, that's what I, I want to be doing this on a Sunday right now, like in, in this interview. And so as soon as I started to put that stuff back, I started to feel that, that gusto again, because like I had something that was like, really driving me to explore and push myself further. But then I was also, I was afforded the opportunity to, to have this really cool day job that was offering me resources. And I, and don't get me wrong, I've learned a lot in that job too. There's a lot of really talented, smart people and like just opportunities that they brought to me. But like they'll, they'll, so what happened was I was afraid that if they saw that stuff, that it would, um, they would think that I was spending too much time on it or something like that. Then I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to tell them. And they told me, they were like, Tom, like, we never, like, one, we love that you're doing that. And like, we never question your output with this company. And two, once they started seeing, I started uh, like teaching people how to be better on camera. They, and I started making these talking head videos. And they were like, yo, can you do those videos for our team? So I started making these internal videos where I was teaching little tutorials to different partners across the country. So, cool. so not only did the side job like make me happier, but then it also benefited the main job. That's so cool, man. And that that was bonus footage. Is that the first project you started working on or were you working on something yeah, before? So, so at the time I was creating a course called, it was like two or three years ago, it was called Thrive on Camera that I've, I've recently re revisited. But yeah, I was, I was putting out teaching material on that. And then the first iteration of the Bonus Footage Podcast, that's when I interviewed Kyle and Samir um, and Jason Zook and Jacob Owens and Trevor Wallace, uh, oh, the, yeah. the guy that he's does the sketch now. comedy. He's growing Dude, so he's huge. Dude, he's so big. He's so big. I, I think I should get him back on the pod, like on the new version and kind of like revisit the first interview. But yeah, I started doing that and I started to get that, the pet back in my step. Uh, so yeah, that's why I, I totally support side projects. Like I feel like, like Gary Vee talks about it a lot. Like he encourages people to do that and find, and find those side passions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it seems like there's, it's like as a creator, there's, I mean, you kind of went through all the phases, right? Where it's like you, like first, like you're trying to make your own stuff, but like you have the problem of like, hey, I need to make money, you know? So it's like, I can't fully yep. focus on this because like I've got the anxiety of like, I got to make rent, you know? Um, and then it's like went through the phase where it's like, okay, like now I'm not, like I'm taking care of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's like I, 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 I can pay for my housing, you know, I can pay for my food. Yep. It's like, but now I'm unhappy, like I'm not fulfilled because like I don't have, I, I don't have like the, um, what do they call it? The self-actualization, you know? It's like, I'm not, I'm not expressing myself. I'm not doing my own stuff. And then like going yep. through that phase of kind of like merging both and then being in a, like, it feels like the side hustle is like the perfect, um, 
it's the perfect blend of like you're able to meet like you're like some people are able to like just straight up go 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 for the moon and like um like uh live from their creative stuff live from their creative work but a lot of times that's not the case right and so like the side hustle kind of like allows you to uh be at that intersection right of like not having to worry and uh like worry financially right but still being able to express yourself and it's kind of like I think eventually a way to going full as a full time creator, right? Where it's like your side hustle like grows and grows and grows until it's like eventually you can can take it over. Totally, and I th- I think there's people there's like a couple schools of thought. There's some people are like, oh, you should just quit the day job and you should only do that. Yeah, yeah, and and for me. I'm like, all right, well, that doesn't really make sense for me right now. And, and like the way I was talking to a friend recently, and she was like, uh, she was talking about how her her brother loves deep sea fishing, and and uh, you know me, I'm always amping people up to like be a little reckless. And I was like, well, why doesn't he just like become a? <laughs> why is he like he doesn't love his 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 job? And she, and, and she, I was like, why doesn't he just like try to find a way to be an instructor or do that full time? And and she was like, Tom, like people just can't do that. And I was like, he, he was like, she has, he has three kids, you know, he, he feeds his family, you know, he has shelter. And I'm like, well, you're right. He can't just drop what he's doing. I was like, but he could start a blog or an Instagram channel or, you know, or, and then, you know, from there, just post about like, like little insights here and there. Then it turns into an event. Then it turns into, you know, something bigger where he can get sponsors. Like it doesn't have to be, you go all in. Yeah. Like you pick something very specific, think of something that you can provide from your unique perspective of the world and you, you give it. And that's what I'm doing with bonus footage right now. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, you like seeing you grow your account like really inspired me of like, hey, like, like, because uh, we, we talk about focus a lot, right? And it's like just just yeah. an Instagram account like can have like a huge impact. And it's like I more and more I'm thinking of like, hey, like if someone's like thinking of a side project, like I feel like starting like a Twitter page or an Instagram account or whatever the pla- a TikTok account, you know, like whatever the platform is, where it's like, but like. Because a lot of people are like, oh, it's like got to be like a YouTuber or something like that. But like people don't realize like how much work goes into like making a YouTube video. But like, yeah, like, I agree. But like, I think what's really cool with the with the page like yours is like, like at the end of the day, like the goal of like a side project like that, wh- whatever the format is, is to kind of like express yourself and like what what message you have for the world, right? And you're just yep. saying like, like, like whether it was like four or five hours or like. 30, 20 minutes, like put into it, right? Like you're you're sharing your message, and and like that's that's what resonates with people, right? It's like I, we were talking about ideas, you know, and and yeah. so I think like the cool thing is like there's these platforms where it's like it's like shorter format, um, you can reach a lot of people, right? Especially like depending, like right now, reels are pretty hot on Instagram. You can you double down on <laughs> <laughs> you can reach a lot of people, like express your message, like kind of have other people engage with your ideas and respond to them and get response from them. And then also, it's almost like a bad signal of like, hey, like this is what I stand for. And then you have other people reaching out and like you're meeting new interesting people and like opportunities just stem from from that, you know? Bro, I in the last month, I've had over 10 people reach out to me and, and either one want me to edit for them, uh, want consulting, um, 
uh, want to work in some way, want to consult for their startup. It's, it, I don't, I'm like, what the, you know, like, it, it's, it's so wild how like these, these little pieces of content. And what I was thinking was, so I'm a big fan of like, I've always been a big fan of TV commercials. I'm like the type where I like, I want to see the storyline play out. And I love like minimalist. I like ones that like don't need a lot of action. It's just like a tight concept that just delivers a message. And I'm like, if someone can sell a car in 15 seconds, in 30 seconds, then I can sell the way I see the world, uh, you know, my personality, my my thinking in 15 to 30 seconds, I can make an impact on someone in 15 to 30 seconds. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go all in on that. And then eventually, like now, I can create long-form content after I get a little momentum, um, you know, help to build some of the, the relationships and I'm building the long-form through the podcast. But the podcast will essentially just be a way to source content for the Instagram. So it's going to be the Creators Our Brands podcast, and I'm going to pull clips from that and edit them the same way that I have been for bonus footage, and I'm going to continue to grow it. And yeah, it's it's freaking it's freaking rad. I, I support short form right now. It's hot. I don't think that people's attention spans are getting any longer. Yeah. Uh, and and my sort of my theory on it is like, all right, there's a lot of junk on the internet. There's a lot of people just trying to get your attention. Uh, maybe Instagram, Facebook, they're not the most trustworthy but people are going to be on them regardless. So the good guys might as well be making content on them, right? Like if we abandon it, all of the the trash is just going to float to the top. So that's why I'm like, all right, Listen, people are going to be here anyways. We might as well give them a little bit of a little bit of uh, action that is is going to be, you know, hopefully a little, uh, just a a little great moment in their day, a little source of inspiration. That's beautiful, man. Um, who? Can you talk about like the people that you've been able to connect, like just from this little side project? Just yeah. for context, yeah. like how, how many followers do you have on uh, bonus footage? Yeah, so I started with like forty-two. Um, it was just like a, a account that I had sitting there, and then and now it's it's reaching a thousand, uh, and it's only been about two and a half months. Uh, and the people, there's a lot of people. So uh, one, Tom Bilyeu's social media manager uh, reached out to me. And I'm a huge fan of Tom Bilyeu. So I was like flipping out. Uh, I remember telling my wife because she listens to him too. And I was like, yo, like the guy that grew his account. Like, yeah. And so like, yeah, you, you, um, uh, uh, Maddie Hapoya's manager. Uh, and and Matty Hapoya follows it, uh, who's a you know massive YouTuber in the in the Peter McKinnon camp. Um, Zach Hanavar, who is Yes Theory's manager, uh, Matt Diavella reached out to me. Him and I are talking about some collaborative ideas. Uh, and, and it's, it's uh, you know there's people that there's a couple startups that are like just got huge investments. One from Justin Khan, uh, who's the the CEO of Twitch. And like the guy's reaching out to me like, hey, like we, we should collaborate together. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's so a lot. I think people are like, all right, this is what this guy cares yeah. about. And and I say this in one of the, in the first episode of the podcast. I'm like, all right, there's going to be people that, that are going to make more polished content than me. There's going to be people that uh, can tell a better story. But I think it's going to be rare for someone to out care me, right? Like out care how much I, I like how much I care about um, creators, creative people, artists putting their ideas in action. Because I truly believe, I remember that year where I felt depressed that when you like put these ideas on the shelf, they take up space 
and, and, they, and they slow down the circulation, like your creative rhythm and, and everything kind of slows down. You start to feel like you have no purpose, no mission. Um, and, and, uh, and, and as a result, you start to resort to distractions, um, you know, watching more TV, scrolling social media more. Like when you don't feel like you have a purpose, you resort to, you know, more alcohol, drugs, whatever, like toxic relationships. You start finding. So like, I believe that when you have an outlet to an, a, a way to express your ideas creatively that you, you offer more to the world and, and yourself and you're a happier person. And the more happier people offering their insights to the world, I think it's going to be a better place. So yeah, you know, I just, I just care a lot about it. So I don't even know. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, who, who's, who's reached out to me? I don't know how it got there, but yeah. So that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Um, when people see it, they're like, oh, he really cares. Uh -huh. And I think that is apparent in the content. And even though it's not, you know, it, it still has a lot of work to go, but I think people just want to connect and I'm really grateful, you know, whether or not I can just, you know, help from afar or we just become homies that like each other's posts. It's, it's really cool to see the following. And uh, yeah, so even with a small account, I think that's sort of the, the message, like even with a small account, just starting a couple months ago, if you create the right thing, get the right share, it can blow up right in front of your eyes and, and, and create relationships that you never knew were possible. Yeah. So let's say someone doesn't have a, a side hustle right now, like how, how would you help them go about it? Like what would be a couple steps they can get started with? Yeah, so I would say I, this is straight from the personality isn't permanent. And it's honestly attributed a lot of success to what I'm doing now uh, is, is finding a way to generate the focus and put the blinders on and create one keystone goal, one. Like we, if, if we are trying to build five different uh, or, or one wall, we have a set of bricks, right? We get a set of bricks to build a wall. But then we start putting a little bricks over here, little bricks over here. Instead of just building one big wall, we'll have a bunch of small walls, right? So take the bricks, which is your your allocation of time, and put them into one keystone goal. And I have a goal right up here, and it's to get 10,000 followers. So it would be to create three types of goals. A metric goal, and mine is 10,000 followers. A process goal, which is that. the amount of the amount of things that you put out. So I want to put out three bonus bonus shorts a week, and then a fun goal. And the fun goal is to interview Will Smith. So those are three things that work together. If you just have the metric goal, then you start to sacrifice integrity just to get the views, just to get the stuff. You start to do a lot of stuff that, that you're not fully proud of. But if you have the process goal, then you're like, okay, I identify my. My, I get my self-confidence from doing the work and putting it yeah. out. Like that complements it. And then the fun goal is like a, that's like the above the clouds thing that is just like exciting to me. I'm like, oh, what if? Like I imagine myself interviewing Will Smith. So that aligns my brand because the brand has to be in a position where, oh, someone from Will Smith's team sees it. It, it, it like has to be presentable. Like it, like it, and those three together um, and start with, start with them. Start, pick one thing and do it for 90 days. And after 90 days, treat it like a season or a sprint. And if you realize that after 90 days, like uh, the same way I did with the music group, okay, maybe I'm not meant to be a musician, but maybe I'm meant to be a director. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not meant to be uh, uh, an author of a of a of a novel. Maybe I'm meant to be a copywriter, right? Like, like you'll you'll pick up skills skills along the way 
that you can like slowly move the direction of the next set of goals into something that you're more interested in. So that's what I would say. Start with those three types of goals. Go for a, a mini season. It doesn't have to be end all be all and focus on it. Block every, everything out and and give yourself the benefit of, of that attention and focus. Yeah, the, the 90 days is so important, man. Like for me, I, I do exactly the same thing. Where it's like every 90 days, I'll allow myself to like think of like, where do I want to go for the next 90 days? You know, do I want to double down on what I'm doing, you know, which is like right now it's the podcast or do I want to think, like consider something else? Because a lot of the times, like in between those 90 days, like we, we were talking about this before, it's like, a million opportunities, like shiny objects will pop out. And you're like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like this is like a one in a lifetime opportunity. And it's like, you want to hop on it. It's so easy to just like hop on it and like, like abandon, abandon this other thing, your other baby that you've been working on, you know? And then, but, but like a lot of times with the 90 day focus, it's like, okay, I have to refocus. And, and you're almost a little bumped. You're like, ah, it's like, it's like, there's this constraint, you know? It's like, I want to try this other thing, but like I, I've committed to this. And a couple of days later, you're like, I'm so glad that I have this constraint because, like, this other thing now, I'm like, I'm not as excited about it. But it's like, I, I'm so proud I just like kept focusing on this baby. And like, because, because of this constraint, I've been able to like go a little further, learn a little more, like build this up. Because a lot of the times you won't, see, you won't see the results. Um, you won't see any results before 90 days. And it can be frustrating uh, when you don't see them, right? And so I think, I think that constraint is just like, it's crucial. Dude, you couldn't have said it better. You know what's so funny? You remember the first phone call we had? We talked for four hours. <laughs> yo, that was, that was that was like a moment where I like my wife was like, "Yo, you good down there?" And like I remember coming up and and I was like, "Yo, it's so wild that like because of the content I'm creating, I'm like." developing these relationships with like-minded individuals like the words that just came out of your mouth like i i'm so fully aligned with and it brings like talking about the creative constraint uh when we we were doing the music videos with haha ha, yo we started off scrapping we were just like you know the best everyone's favorite part of the the brand was the music videos it wasn't the songs the songs were like vehicles to like tell the story but we were shooting these fun videos when we started, we only only had a camera and we had no money. Like we had no money to invest in it. So we had to get really scrappy. And that was the creative constraint. It was like, all right, you got this camera, you got three buddy, three idiot buddies, uh, tell a funny story. And we just like used props, we used what was in our houses, like whatever, right? Called on friends for favors. Then we got an investment. We got money to put into it. We got $5,000. We did a, uh, a Kickstarter. And when we got that money, Oh, and we also got eventually a, a couple like YouTube agencies, like All Deaf Digital. They paid us money to do content for them. And whenever we got money, we I felt like the content wasn't as good because we were just like finding ways to spend it and like thought that that would carry the creative, but it doesn't. Like it still has to be good creative. Like money itself isn't going to help a bad idea. You got to have a good, like, the, and, and so like the creative constraint would be, Work with what you have. Work with the resources that are right in front of you because a lot of times it's better than what you, like the distractions that would come with getting a lot of money to, to put into the project. So yeah, create the keystone goal. Work with what you have. Remember the process is the goal. Identify with the person you're becoming and not the result. And find a way to surround yourself with like-minded 
individuals, forward-thinking people, people that want the best for not only you, but for themselves. You want to be around people that are bettering themselves. So many times we kind of get complacent in certain friend groups that we just grew up with, but there's certain points where like those relationships serve the chapter of, of that relationship. And you have to like I'm telling you, my friends, the people that I talk about, these relationships that I built over the years, like they are probably 90%, if not more of the reason, the, like, uh, you know, I, I've been able to to go the direction that I have with with my ideas. The, these people like Asher, even first on, I was living vicariously through him. Like I was able to stand behind him and be like, oh yeah, here's my idea. Here's some of my ideas, right? And like live vicariously through his ideas. I didn't have the creative courage to do it on my own, but then just seeing him have the guts to do it himself then gave me the guts to do it myself. So just being around one person that was doing it like made me look at the world differently. And Trevor Moed talks about this a lot. Um, negative influences are four to seven times stronger than positive influences. And they're 10 to times stronger than that if they're verbalized. So the, the point being negative influences are much stronger than positive influences. So if you're around negative people that are gossiping, complaining, being you know in this victim mindset, that stuff becomes us. Like that outlook, we don't even realize how that's affecting our subconscious mind. So before you even try to put in like, you know, self-help books or self-development or look at the next course, look at your immediate world and say, "All right, if I wasn't around this influence all the time and I and how 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 would that change if it's four to seven times stronger and times 10 if it's constantly being verbalized if i decided like oh that that relationship isn't the best for my future for my family for my wife for my kids uh you sometimes we have to make hard decisions like that and just figure out like if and and decide like listen i'm going to keep this relationship at arm's reach i still love them i'm still loyal but it's not the best for my business and my future and start to try to find relationships like you know like like i do i do here with my buddy jeremy that like people are constantly that know the terrain know the direction you're trying to go and and can continue to push you forward and be that positive that that positive influence in your life amen yeah yeah, man, and and you're really you're really good at um, building those connections as well. Just reaching out. Um, it's funny, like nowadays, like with the pandemic and stuff. I feel like like meeting people online, at least for me, it's like it's become like more and more easy to connect with like like minded people. And maybe it's just because like we we also both started our projects uh, like earlier this year. But it's like when you're putting yourself out there, and um, combined with like the tools we have today, just like simple zoom call a calendly you know and like um like like social media it's just like crazy uh how easy it is to connect with like like-minded people you know it's it is the most underrated thing in the entire world when we started we had no leverage we had to go to scooter because he had all the relationships now any artist i believe can get in front of pretty much any anyone in music if they connect if they find the right way in like there's if you frame it right in the cold email in the dm if you the guys at rally caps do this really well they create these to get people on their podcast they create they know how valuable it is to get a big guest so they'll create like a skit to land a big guest like a 90 second skit they'll produce it and and like yo anyone can do that 
you can do that with your smartphone, right? Like, like I, I believe, you know, you see, you see some of these, rela- I mean, look at me with, with Margaritaville. I made this video, like make a video that looks people look, look, makes people look good in the process. Uh, Will Smith, someone did that for Will Smith recently. They made like a, like a trailer for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like a drama version. And Will Smith like flies the guy out. He meets with them. Like you can get in front. It's, That's so cool. it's accessible. Yeah, have, There's no excuses. I have a buddy who created basically a, a music video to land a job with Mr. Beast as well. It was like, like, a, like, like so good. Like uh, just like doing a challenge in the video and I'll post it on Twitter. Had a couple friends retweet it. And it's like, like, we're, we're like two, what is it? We're two degrees away from like anyone in the world or three degrees away. Like Mr. B yeah. saw it, flew him out to North Carolina. It's like now he has a job, uh, like managing a behind the scenes channel of uh, like Mr. Beast philanthropy. It's like, it's wild. Wow. Yeah. See, man, like it's, it's at, it's at your fingertips. It's a fascinating story, man. It's, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy, man. Like I, you probably yeah. realize, but <laughs> it's like, it, I think for a lot of people, it's very inspirational. Just that that you're able. Um, you're you you were. I mean, you're behind the scenes with these 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 people that are like probably at the highest level of performance. You know, and I, I know. and um and and <laughs> and like you being able to say like, hey, like these guys are just like normal people you know it's like if they can do it you can do it i think that's very powerful the thing that has me so excited about this world of the creator economy right now it's it's i i feel like it's truly built around you know storytellers artists idea havers that uh that have you know a, a unique perspective to share and i think when i was starting with asher the only people that could like there were the only real path to do that was to be a musician, right? There wasn't that many opportunities. Like YouTube existed, but no one was becoming a YouTuber. YouTube was like a compliment to like your business. Like you'd put videos up there. Like no one really knew how to build a career out of it. But now, so like at the time, like that was the only outlet for the storytellers, for the creators, in my opinion. You know, maybe blogs, um, but I wasn't really hip on those. Um, but, But still, like, you know, the the reason I'm so stoked on the opportunities now and why I'm teaching and creating and sharing and consulting, the same things that the same mental stuff, the same behind the scene, learning business, learning about focus, learning the soft skills, right? All of the things needed for that, right? To become a musician and working with Asher, those same things apply for the tremendous opportunity that is now in front of people. Anyone, like I said, that guy that fixes bikes for a living can create a YouTube channel. My dad, that's a wood wood shop. Like he, 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 he finds like old stuff in the trash and he refurbishes it and he makes it like these beautiful pieces of furniture. He could create a YouTube channel. That means he could be a creator today if he wanted to, right? Like, you know, the the people that I see, you know, people trash on TikTok, but there's a lot of people making like really insightful uh, shorts on TikTok. Like it's accessible, right? Like back in the day, you had to get a call from Scooter Braun. You had to move to Atlanta. You had to drop out of school early. Like you had to go like uh, people to go into the music or entertainment industry. It was a lot of like, uh, 
what's the word, um, gatekeepers yeah. that you had to go through to get there. But right now, there's no gatekeeper. And there's no gatekeeper. It's right in front of you. You you can become a full-time storyteller in the next year if you decide to. And it's like there's no there's no limits of like what that applies to, right? Like the other day, uh, I was on a plane and the the woman next to me was telling me, we were just chatting and she was telling me that her husband uh, has a YouTube channel just reviewing like baseball bats. It's like, it's like that, that. Yo, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's like, and he just like during the pandemic, like he was doing it as a side hobby, you know, during the pandemic, he was like, all right, this is a time where I go full time. He has like, I think he has like 250, 300,000 uh, subscribers. And, and he's what? living from that. He's living from that. Yo, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. This is for yeah. him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I believe that there's so many people sitting, like there are a lot more people than we think sitting around wanting to mm-hmm. do that, but they don't think it's possible yeah. and they don't think it's worth it. And they think that their family will be like, oh, it's a measly hobby. It's a, it's just a little thing. Like, no, you can build something, whether it's part-time or a full-time that generates income for your family. You can you can buy your kids some Converse's or something with with that YouTube channel. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on, bro. Um, always a pleasure, and um, I think a lot of people are gonna get a lot of value from this. There you have it. I hope you got something out of that conversation. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to my good friend Sam, who edits this podcast every week. Uh, if you need any kind of help with audio or video editing, reach out to him directly on Instagram. His handle is at Saman Ajigazem, which instead of spelling out, I'm going to include that in the description. So wherever you're listening or watching to this, it will be in the description. But yeah, reach out to him. He's awesome. Also, I really want to make this podcast as helpful as possible for you. So if you have any feedback whatsoever, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Jeremy John Mary. And let me know how I can make this better or if you have any questions for me personally. All right, thanks for listening and have an epic week, guys. Peace.